Father, thanks for today. We love you. Um, our worship, Lord, it, it really is just singing the truth of who you are, your faithfulness, what you've done, and that's the truth. You've never failed. Um, we acknowledge, Lord, that in our smallness and in our humanity and in our sinfulness, there's been many times that every one of us in this room has thought that you have failed, and it's not right um, because you're perfect in every way. We confess that to you this morning, but we also profess that you've ultimately, Lord, you've never failed, and you're always faithful, and you see us through. And so, Father, we just we come to you this morning um, hoping in that faithfulness for the future, <laughs> at the end of life, whenever that is, we don't know, but you do, and when we stand before you. But, Lord, we also come hoping in that faithfulness for right now, today, in this moment, in this time and place that we have together. Um, we look to you and to your strength. Lord, grant us the ability by your spirit to look away from ourselves and to lift our eyes to Christ. Holy Spirit, please be the glory and the lifter of our head this morning and fix our eyes on Jesus. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. If you got your Bibles, uh, please grab them. <coughs> Excuse me. Go to, go to Romans chapter 1. Let me jump right in and read. It's a fairly lengthy uh, passage. Primarily today we wanted to get to verses 18 through 32 through the end of the chapter, but I'm also going to pick back up uh, verses 16 and 17, which we talked a little bit about last week because there's some things in there that we need to grab uh, and take with us before we go on the journey through the rest of Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it known to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they gave, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, again, pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. Please give me the words to speak in the moment that I need it and give each and every single one of us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying and doing among us today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So last week, um, the primary thing that we looked at was the, and said is that the gospel isn't just the power of God to start the Christian life, but that the truth of the gospel is the power to live the Christian life. 
And uh, especially in verses 16 and 17, I said that there were a couple of terms that were really, really important for understanding the rest of Romans because verses 16 and 17 literally are the, the main thesis, the main idea, okay, of the entire rest of the letter. And those, those terms were the gospel, the power of God, salvation, um, righteousness, faith, and this idea of, of it being revealed. Last week we talked about the gospel, the power of God, and salvation, and we touched on the others briefly, but not enough. And I just want to pick it up right there. First of all, this righteousness, okay? Because Paul, uh, again, in verse 16, there, there's something here that we talked about it last week, and I touched on it briefly, but, um, but I, I don't want us to miss this, and I want to press this a little bit. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for, so here's why, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And of course, I'm assuming you know that gospel means good news. It's the good news, okay? And it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then it says this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, now there, he, he's using logic here and he's saying this is good news because in this message a righteousness is revealed. And the thing that I want to press, and I've said this before, I, I think a couple years ago we were doing our Bible reading plan through the New Testament and we touched on this passage uh, in Romans and, and I said this, and some of you might remember, but I, I, we need to pick this up before we go forward, is that I think that 99.9% .9 of people, even Christians, it, we just we gloss over that phrase, the righteousness of God. And we don't understand the logic of what he's saying here. Because he says, it's good news. And he says, here's why it's good news. Because you get a righteousness that's not yours. And I think most of us go, what? Is that really a big deal? See, I think most of us read it, and, we, and if we were writing it, we would write it like this. The gospel is the power of God and salvation for all who believe. Uh, for, in it, for in it, the love of God is revealed. Now hear me, God is loving, the gospel reveals his love, but here's the primary way throughout the rest of the book that God, Paul is going to describe the way in which God loves us. The way in which he loves us is that he provides for us a righteousness that we do not have. And the only way this will be good news is if you understand, and again, we're, we're going to get there in just a little bit, but look at the beginning of verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. So there's a righteousness revealed, and there is a wrath that is revealed. God is seriously mad at the sin of humanity. It's no joke. It's no lie. And is he loving? He's absolutely loving. He's so loving that he provided for us a righteousness. You have to understand that. You have to understand that the primary way that he loves us is through giving us a righteousness. Does he adopt us into his family? Do we become his children? Do we become his sons, his daughters, co-heirs with Christ? Yes, all those things, but all those things are not possible if we do not get a righteousness that is not ours. Because above everything else that we're going to look at today, folks, you've got to get this. God is holy and we are not. And it is a really, really, really big deal. It flies in the face of all sorts of things that we believe about ourselves that we're good, and you know, we've, we've, I've said this so many times, for those of you that call Mercy at Home, you've heard me say things like this, but even like, like supposed, you know, Christian preachers, supposed preachers of the gospel will say that I was just worth so much that God bankrupted heaven to come get me because I was so valuable. That's not true. He paid for you because your sin costs that much. And it was to uphold his righteousness and the fact that he accepts you into his family. Yes, he absolutely loves you in and of himself, but it is an act of sheer unmerited favor and grace. Your sin is worthy of punishment. And that punishment was laid on Christ. You excited to be here this morning? See, let me tell you something. I want to admit up front that as we go through the book of Romans, Lord willing, over the next year, there are, there are several things, and there's a, there's a couple places where what Paul says is difficult to digest because it's a little bit hard to understand. But there are more places in the book of Romans where what he says is difficult to digest because it's hard not to understand. It is so abundantly clear, but it is so contrary 
to the way that we think, to the way that we were raised, to the message of the world, to the message that we just kind of speak among ourselves, that we're not really that bad. And if you don't understand the severity of your sin, you will never understand the amazement of the cure that is offered in Jesus Christ. As we talked last week, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You've got to wrestle with this. We were created body, soul, and spirit. We were, we were created for eternity. And at some point, you have to feel the weight of that if you're going to be thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Martin Luther, the reformer, was a man <coughs> excuse me, who wrestled greatly with the holiness of God and his sinfulness. And the book of Romans, and specifically these verses here in verses 16 and 17, were kind of the key to setting him free. I want to read a quote from him, speaking of part of his conversion. He said, I had greatly longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in my way but that one phrase, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. He says, night and day I pondered it until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. He says, thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise the whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. End of quote. And I pray that it would do the same for us as well, that this righteousness is a righteousness of God that he, that he gives to us. And it's by faith. And you'll see this little phrase here. Um, in verse 17 he says, it is revealed from faith for faith. That's the ESV. Uh, I believe the NIV, other translations, again, the Greek phrase is a little bit ambiguous, but it, it, it might say from, by faith from first to last. But again, ESV says from faith for faith. And the idea there is from faith for faith for faith for faith because the righteous, we, we live by faith. We stand, we live by faith, but it's, it's every moment. Everything is about trust in him. Paul's going to go on later on, um, in, eventually in Romans 14, and he's going to say this little phrase. He's going to simply say, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That we were made to live in childlike dependence upon God. But that the essence of our sin, which is what we're going to look at here, in just a little bit, starting in verse 18, is that we have rejected that. We have not wanted to live according to how God made us to live, which was by trust in him and in what he says. And this, this faith here, um, this quote then that he says, for the righteous live by faith, he says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from the book of Habakkuk. I'm sure all of you read the book of Habakkuk this past week. Yes, anybody? Everybody's favorite book, or Habakkuk, as we used to say. Um, but Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet. And let me, uh, Habakkuk is three chapters. Let me sum up, let me give you the context of Habakkuk just real quick, okay? Because this is kind of important <coughs> to understanding what Paul's saying here. Is that the nation of Israel had been divided into a northern and southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Judah, um, was rebellious against God and his ways, and so God was going to bring judgment. The northern kingdom had already been taken into captivity several years earlier by the Assyrian Empire, but now this other empire, the Babylonians, were coming, um, and God was raising them up. And, and Habakkuk, um, in the midst of the wickedness of his nation, he is walking with the Lord, and he, and he, but he has this complaint uh, against God. And he says, God, how long are you going to let this go on? Your, your, your people are acting wickedly. What are you going to do about it? And, and more, really, he's saying, why are you not doing anything? And God responds by saying, oh, I'm doing something. 
Oh, I'm, I'm doing something. And his answer is this. He goes, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And all of a sudden, Habakkuk goes, whoa, oh, what? The Babylonians? They're even more wicked than we are. That doesn't make any sense. And so it would be, just to kind of put a little bit of flesh on it, it would be like as if we begin to complain to God about the wickedness of our nation. Um, and again, pick a nation, you can fill in the blank here, that you think is more wicked than we are. Um, but it might be like God saying, oh, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to judge America, and I'm going to judge them with the North Koreans. I'm, I'm going to use them to, and we're like, oh, well, well wait a minute, we're, they're even worse than us. That's not, that's not fair. And God goes, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he goes on later and he talks about how he's also going to judge the Babylonians after he uses the Babylonians to judge, to judge them. But it's in the midst of this weighty statement from God that he's going to bring judgment that um, Habakkuk is wrestling with this. And then um, God says to him in Habakkuk 2, and I'll read start in verse 3 and then you'll hear the quote here in verse 4. He says, for the vision awaits for its appointed time. And again, this vision of the Babylonians coming, but there's, a, there's another meaning too. He says, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And then he says this, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Okay? So this judgment is coming, and he's telling Habakkuk, that in the midst of this, what do you do? You have to trust my promises. And you have to trust that what I'm doing is right, and you, need to, and you need to believe me. But this idea of the Babylonian judgment, this is just a small shadow. Hang with me here. This is just a small shadow of a greater judgment that every one of us is going to face. And that judgment is the day when each and every single one of us, and if you just want to skip ahead here, again, I don't want to run too far ahead in Romans, but in Romans 2.16, where Paul says, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of man by Christ Jesus. The point is this, is that there's a much greater judgment coming, one in which every single one of us, men, women, and children of all ages, <laughs> will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What is our hope? How are we going to get through that? By faith in the promises of God. And specifically, the promises as they are now given to us in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? You follow what I'm saying? And so, this idea of God giving us a righteousness and us being able to stand before the judgment, because again, remember last week we talked that salvation here, it's not just conversion, it is that, but it's also salvation to the end, is that we, are gonna, we can stand with confidence because God has promised righteousness to all those who trust in the gospel of his son, that he has provided that for us, okay? Okay. Um, so the other word here, and I, I touched on it already, is this idea of being revealed. It's the word apocalypto. I, I showed you the connection already, verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, apocalypto. And then verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. This is a massive, this, this, is, this should stand in stark contrast. God is doing them both. So they're the same in that sense, but one is a revelation of righteousness and the other is a revelation of of his wrath. Very stark contrast. And this idea of, of um, being revealed or apocalyptic, it's, it's a pretty strong term. It's, it's this idea of revealing something, this action of revealing something, but that there has to be a response of some sort, okay? So um, <coughs> uh, I, th I think they'll be okay with me using this. If, if not, I'll apologize later, but uh, Brenda and Josh. Where Brenda and Josh at? Somewhere. Brenda, Brenda and Josh got engaged last week. I was asking Brenda briefly in the green room beforehand. I didn't get all the details, but I was like, "How'd this go down? What happened?" And I don't know what I don't know what exactly happened, but you can imagine Josh or 
this situation where a boyfriend to whoever, you know, comes in and they are going to bring forward this revelation, <laughs> this apocalypto, if you will. Um, and they get down on a knee and they reveal apocalypto, this ring that they had maybe been hiding. And here it is. Now, it would be very typical um, that even before he gets the words out of his mouth, will you marry me, right? Even before he would do that, because of this revealing, there would be some sort of a response, right? Like when that happens, the woman doesn't just usually stand there, all stoic, right? That apocalypto, it, it causes some sort of a response. That's what Paul is saying here. This revealing of the righteousness of God demands a response in light of the revealing of his wrath towards sin. And what we will see is, is that one of the primary, the primary, I don't know, essence, I guess, of what sin is, is that we suppress that truth. We suppress the truth about who God is and what he has done. Let's jump into verse 18. Before we do that, let me just give a little bit of an aside here, okay? Um, is that it's really important in Romans that we keep our bearings on where we're at contextually, okay? So as Paul goes into verse 18, he's now fully transitioning us into this long argument talking about what the gospel is, why it's good news, and how it works, how it actually, how it actually works. Um, and uh, if I could, just to hopefully be helpful, I want us to jump ahead a little bit and point out where he's going to go with this, because Romans, I've already compared it to like, you know, if the Bible is the Himalayas, Romans is Mount Everest, compared it to a Sherman tank. Another illustration I like to use of Romans is like walking into a thick forest full of big like redwood trees or sequoias. And what happens is a lot of times we walk into the forest and every tree is just amazing. And we look up and we're staring all around and we're, we're looking at the glory of, of the truth in just one verse. But then we come down and we kind of lose our bearings as to where we're at. And we don't understand it. And so I say all that because I just want us to understand what's happening here. From chapter 1 verse 18 on till chapter 3 verse 20. What Paul is going to do, and this is what we're going to look at over the next several weeks, about the next month here at Mercy Hill. We're going to look at how every human being that has ever been born in Adam is sinful. And what Paul is going to talk about is the universal sinfulness of all mankind, okay? And today, he's, this, what we're gonna talk about, it describes man just left to himself. Just left to himself, this is what happens to man, apart from the grace of God coming in. Next week we'll look at more uh, at religious men who think that, it's, that, that they're a little bit better, but they're really not. And then we're going to look at the Jewish people and how they thought they're a little bit better because they had God's laws, but it really wasn't because they didn't, because they didn't live by faith. But here we go, kind of entering the forest, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men Listen, by their unrighteousness, here's the word, they suppress the truth. They have the truth, but they suppress the truth. Now, the truth that he is talking about here is not necessarily the Bible, but what he's talking about is what you would call general or natural revelation, okay? And he's going to go on to explain this. Follow, just follow the logic. Again, this section, it's not difficult because it's hard to understand, but because it's so clear and it's hard not to understand. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. How? Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, end of verse 20, so they are without excuse. Here's what he's saying. He's saying everything that God has made in the world, the stars, the grass, the trees, the animals, the ocean, the lakes, the rivers, the beauty of creation, even though the Bible also teaches that it's all been tainted a little bit by sin and we don't even really know what true glory is, it's still glorious because God made it. And it points to, he says, it points to his eternal power and his divine nature so that man is without excuse. We have this truth about who God is, yet we suppress it. And we do absolutely ridiculous, silly things that do not make sense at all. It would be like sitting in this building, looking at the building, looking at the architecture and go, oh, I know what happened. They got, to, they got together a bunch of building materials, they threw them up in the air, and it, it came out like this. That's what happened, right? Or going home and you're going to eat maybe a meal. That was prepared. It might be a meal that was prepared at Burger King. It might be a meal that was prepared in the crock pot. At home. But whatever it is, you're going to get that out. You're going to go, oh, I know what happened. They just reached in blind to the refrigerator in the cupboard, threw a bunch of stuff up in the air, and whoop, look what I got. And we kind of chuckle because, oh, that's silly. That's exactly what we do. Well, there was a big bang, and, you know, you know, something exploded. Well, where did something go? Well, I don't know, but it was just there, you know, and it just exploded, and, you know, and then it became this, and, you know, we kind of morphed from animals. We suppress the truth about God with a lie. And the reason that we do it is because we do not want to bow the knee to our creator. I want to tell you something, folks. Sin, don't, um, we can argue logic. We should be logical. Faith in no way Faith in, in, in Jesus Christ and what the Bible teaches in no way causes us to turn off our brains. But let me say something as plainly as I can. Is the reason why people do not repent and believe in Jesus is not because of logic. It is because of rebellion in their heart. That is why. Because we do not want to be ruled. Because here is the natural implication. Here's his point. is because if we acknowledge which is the only thing that makes sense that just like this building implies that there was an architect and some skilled laborers, just like a meal implies that there was a chef or a cook of some sort who made it. In the same way, all that we see in creation absolutely implies that there is a supernatural being who created all of it. But if we acknowledge it, then we must acknowledge also that he is greater than us and that the first response should be to bow the knee, but we don't want to do that. What we want to do is we want to live independently of him. This is the first nugget of our sin. Now, I want you to get this because he's going to move on as we progress here. And if you saw the list when I read through this at the beginning of verse 29 and 30, there are some, there are some sins in there that, um, that work on the horizontal plane. You'll hear me talk a lot about the vertical plane, the horizontal plane. The horizontal plane being our relationship with other people, that is sin, but that's not where sin starts. That's way down the road. Okay? So where the pollution in the river comes from is not on the horizontal axis. That's just the result of what we've thrown in at the headwaters. And what we've thrown in at the headwaters is this suppression of the truth about who God is and about what he has done and about our response to him. And the, the, the logic and the worldview of the Bible is very plain. Men, end of verse 20, we are without excuse. There is none. Verse 21, continue to follow the flow of thought here. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what you're going to see here is a huge downward spiral. A huge toilet flush, if I can say that of humanity is that because we're without excuse we suppress the truth about who he is and what that looked like as I've already said and then in verse 21 he says we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God and again that should have been the natural response that's the natural implication of the truth that there is a creator who is glorious 
And because we did not honor him or give thanks to him, and again, there's a lot that could be said here. Again, this is a huge passage of scripture. We're gonna keep going. But man, does worship ever matter, amen? Worship matters a lot. The essence of our sin is that we did not worship him. We did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But then they became futile in their thinking. And if you're into underlining, circling, whatever stuff in your Bible, let me point out a few little words here. End of verse 21, they became futile in their thinking. Circle that. And their foolish hearts. So you've got the mind thinking. Their hearts were darkened. And if you jump down to middle of verse 24, he said, and we'll get here in just a second, it says he gives them over to the dishonoring of their bodies. So you've got the mind, you've got the heart, you've got the body. It's all increasingly tainted by sin, but where did it start? Because we did not honor God or give thanks to him as God. And the reason we didn't do that is because we wanted to pretend like he didn't exist. Because we wanted to live independently of him. Brothers and sisters, we, we have to start here in our understanding of what the gospel is, why it's actually good news, how we're to actually live this life of faith, and also in how we share the gospel. We just have to. We, I, it's um, only God knows each and every human heart. And God alone knows who is truly in Christ and who is not. But there's not a third category. Everybody in the world is either in Christ, has trusted him for salvation, or they are not. But one thing is for sure, um, and there's a quote that I've shared with you before from Bill Hull that says, the gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. The gospel that we preach determines the disciples that we make. And... And one thing's for certain is that we have preached a gospel in our land, in our time, that doesn't talk about this at all. And it's created disciples that are immature and dysfunctional. And I'm not just saying out there somewhere. I think we've all experienced this to a degree in our own lives. And we have got to come back. That's why the book of Romans is important. We've got to come back to the foundation of what the gospel actually is. And it's a lot more than just this. It's a lot more than just being saved from the wrath of God. But it is not by accident that Paul starts here. Because to hit on everything else and to leave this out is to miss the most important part. That we are able to receive a righteousness that is not our own in light of God's holiness. John Stott says this, speaking of the sinfulness of man and and also our own sinfulness, he says, if sin and guilt are universal as they are, we cannot leave people alone in their false paradise of supposed innocence. The most irresponsible action of a doctor would be to acquiesce in a patient's inaccurate self-diagnosis. Our Christian duty is rather through prayer and teaching to bring people to accept the true diagnosis of their condition in the sight of God. Otherwise, they will never respond to the gospel. Is that we have to talk about this. We have to share this. We don't have to share it with a megaphone on a sidewalk in a mean tone. But we need to look people in the eye, ideally with tears in our eyes, because we truly care. And we need to share it that every single person ever born on planet earth is born under the wrath of God. And that apart from trust in the gospel, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire separated from him. That is the truth that the Bible makes abundantly clear. Yet we don't like to, we don't like to look at it uh, full on for what it is. So Paul goes on here And again, just notice the downward spiral. Um, Beginning of verse 22, he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged. Now this is another word that you're going to see three times here. You're going to see it in verse 23, you're going to see it in verse 25, and you're going to see it in verse 26. 
along with another phrase about God. And the little phrase about God, you'll see it in verse 24, that God gave them up. Verse 24, um, verse 26, God gave them up. And at the beginning of verse 28, God gave them up. Okay? Again, it's very clear. All I'm going to do is read through and kind of comment along the way. But they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. I'm in verse 23 now. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So this is just what a lot of times we think of as idolatries. They would actually craft idols, golden calves, Asherah poles, Baal um, images, uh, different things, different things like that. But notice the key here is that they were images resembling mortal man. Brothers and sisters, we have the exact same thing in our day. They're not carved images and they're not usually made of gold, but it's people. We idolize them in the NBA. We idolize them because they have a big Instagram following. We idolize them because they're in movies that we like. And usually it's not just one person, but we take a conglomeration of different things that we like and we build this image of a man or of a woman, of something that we want to be, and then we pursue it. I would call that worship. It's the same, it's the same thing. We, when, when, when we were made, when we were made for the glory of God, but we exchange that. We exchange it for nothingness. You know, the prophet Jeremiah said, my, God said through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. That they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've hewn out for themselves wells or cisterns that are dry. There's nothing there. Not just that we forsake him, but then that we actually try to delight in stuff that does not satisfy they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, now notice this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, go back for just a second to verse 18, that word revealed or apocalypto. It's, it, it's this active word, okay? He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. It's, at, it's, it's right now, it's present tense, just like the righteousness of God is now revealed in Christ because Christ came and sent the disciples out, great commission, being preached, he's been risen from the dead. The wrath of God is actively revealed. And it's a pointer to one day, as I talked earlier, that this final judgment, final and complete judgment is going to happen when we stand before him. Um, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says it like this. He says, the revelation of the wrath to come at the end time is anticipated by the revelation of the wrath that is ongoing in the life of the world. Now, here's the point, is that in verse 24, where it says, therefore God gave them up in response to man's sin, and he's talking not just individuals here, he's talking humanity as a whole. From the beginning of time, ever since Adam fell, he's saying, because man refused to honor him, God judged them by giving them up to their sin. If I could just put this in kind of layman's terms, God is calling out from the beginning to honor him because that's how we've been designed to live, is by trusting him, worshiping him. But man goes, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And then God's judgment is, you want it? You got it. You want it? Okay. Okay. And he is righteous in doing so. And you're going to see this cycle spiral downward here as we continue to read. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts again. It's not just a logical thing in their minds. It's in their hearts. To impurity. Now he's going to describe the impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Again, I said earlier, it's in our thinking, it's in our heart, now it's in our bodies. Well, what's he talking about? And here's another exchange, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So back in 23, we exchanged the glory of God for just an idol made in the image of man of some sort. Verse 25, we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
What did that look like? It goes on, and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, continue on. He says, for this reason, here you see the phrase again, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So he gives them up to the dishonoring of their bodies. They continue to worship and serve something else rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Now he's going to give them up to even more dishonorable passions. And again, what comes next, this is not hard to understand. Verse 26, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Homosexuality is a judgment of God on humanity. Now I want to camp here real quick and I want you to hang with me. And I, Martin Luther, this is not a direct quote, but he said something like this to talk about the text and not talk about the things in the text that are the most prevalent, some of the most prevalent in our days to not actually preach the text. Homosexuality is a huge issue in our day, yes? Let me give a couple of bullet points, if you will. This, is, this text is not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive discussion on homosexuality, but there's enough here that we need to sit and we need to talk about it. <clears throat> Number one, is homosexuality a sin? Yes. It's, it's not a debate. It's not a discussion. It, yes. The Bible makes that abundantly clear here and a plethora of other places. Can Jesus save you from the sin of homosexuality through faith in him? Yes. <laughs> so we're back in verse 16 and 17. Yes. Absolutely. He can save anyone from any sin. There is nothing that Jesus cannot save you from. Absolutely. Third question, and now we're getting down into the nitty-gritty a little bit more. It says, is it possible, or here's the question, is it possible for someone to be truly born again and still battle homosexual temptation? Answer, yes. Just like it's possible to be truly born again and still battle all sorts of temptations. But let's go on to the fourth one. Is it ever okay for that person to make peace with their sin of homosexuality? And I'd be very quick to add, is it okay for anyone to make peace with any temptation? Answer, no. We fight it by faith till the day we die. It doesn't matter if the sin is homosexuality or gossip. In fact, next week, Paul's, again, Paul's just teeing this up because there's a group of people that as Paul is writing this, Paul anticipates that they're reading it going, uh-huh, 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 those guys, uh-huh, yep, oh man, yeah, they sure are bad. And then if you'll just jump real quickly to chapter two, verse one, I don't want to steal the thunder of Mr. Jonas Ramos, who's going to be bringing the heat next week. But, um, but chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Now, probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, come back with me here. Um, to, to verse 18, or I'm, or I'm sorry, um, to verse, what verse is that? Verse 26, 27. Um, guys, we need, we need to get this right. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I can say. I, um, obviously, the culture is just a complete mess with this. There's no reason for it to be confusing. Um, we fight sin of any sort as Christians, until the day we die. And this is a discussion that we'll get into a little bit more in chapter six and seven specifically, which are speaking of sanctification. Sanctification is the process which by God is always going to be working on us until he takes us home to glory, to form us into the image of Christ. But let me say this about homosexuality and people struggle with it and also the struggle with any other sin, is that um, there is a mystery in our personal sanctification. And what I mean is, there are people, let's take alcoholism for example. There are people that struggle with alcoholism, they get, they get born again, and man, God just takes that thing away and it's gone forever. It's gone forever. 
There are other people that get truly born again, love Jesus, are living by faith in him, but that, is a, that battle to drink is something that they face for the rest of their life. Here's what I want to say. God knows exactly what he's doing. And in any temptation that he allows in our life for us to battle, it is ultimately for his glory. And it is left there for this reason. He is not the author of sin. He does not tempt us with sin uh, just, to be, just to be mean or to torture, us, to torture us. But in his wisdom, he allows us to go on in the battle against any sort of temptation so that we will again and again and again and again throw ourselves at his feet and cry out to him and live by faith and trust him. And that is the victory that overcomes the world. Are you with me? So don't, like, is homosexuality sin? Yes. Can Jesus save from that sin? Absolutely. Is it possible for a brother or a sister to truly be your brother or sister in Christ and to struggle with that sin? Yes, and we help them. We walk with them just like we need them to walk with us to overcome whatever sin we're facing. But do we ever make peace with our sin of any sort? No. The righteous live by faith from beginning to end. We're from faith, for faith, again and again and again, throwing ourselves upon the mercy of Christ and trusting that he will give us strength through the power of his Holy Spirit to stand. Um, so Paul goes on here uh, in speaking of this, and end of verse 27, men committing shameless acts with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Then he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And again, there's already been several things that have been listed that ought not to be done. But here he gives a very comprehensive list. It's probably not exhaustive. There are more things you could add to it. But this is what man left to his own becomes filled with all manner of unrighteousness. It's a pretty broad blanket statement. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I think our generation at this point, I think every generation maybe gets to claim the prize for that until the next generation comes around. But technology is morally neutral. It can be used for good or bad, but boy, we figure out ways to use it for bad, right? We invent new ways of doing evil. Disobedient to parents kids, if you're in here, disobeying your parents is a sin. Very straightforward. <laughs> Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, and then you got to love this little phrase here at the end, he says they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And this is exactly what we do. The word of God is true, amen? We give awards to those who flaunt their wickedness. We honor them. We give them prizes. Um, we tell them how, how bold they are and how true to themselves they are when it's wickedness. There's more in there we could talk about. <coughs> um, the question is, now in light of this, what do we do? <laughs> well, we already talked about it at the beginning. Uh, we trust him. We believe, we believe his promises. Um, I mentioned Habakkuk earlier. Habakkuk, 
um, his, the end of his story. In fact, let me, I'm going to give you a second. Go find the book of Habakkuk for me. Habakkuk chapter 3. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 3, again, if you, you, you got to put yourself in his shoes. God tells him straight up, the judgment is coming through another nation. He is going to send the Babylonians to invade his country. And the question for Habakkuk in his time is, is, is how shall we live? But not only that, but just like Habakkuk, just like the rest of us, it's also looking forward to the time when he will stand before God. And again, God gave him the answer. How shall we live? By faith. By faith. God had trust his promises. But in light of not just the sinfulness out in the world, but the sinfulness in our own heart, Sinfulness in here. What should we do? How does, what, what does living by faith look like? Well, it looks like a lot of different things, but one thing that I think we take for granted and that we miss a lot of times is that we come back by faith and we, we, walk, in the, we walk by faith by reversing the very thing that all started this whole problem which was not giving God the honor, glory, praise, and worship that he deserves. And in Habakkuk chapter three, again, it's only three chapters, after God lays this all out for him, the last chapter of Habakkuk, it's a song. It's all a song. Some of your Bibles might have it labeled as Habakkuk's prayer, but if you glance down through it at several different places, you'll see this little word, selah which is repeated a lot of times in the Psalms as this kind of musical term. Most people think that it probably is some sort of a pause, like to sing something and there's a little bit of a pause, just like the worship team would sing and then there might be just a little instrumental part before, before we go on. Is that Habakkuk's response of walking by faith to the judgment that God was bringing then and also into the end when he too would stand before God somewhat day, just like we all, we all will, is that his response is to sing. And I, I, I hope I can connect these dots for you, but folks, what do we do in response to the sinfulness of all of humanity, the unrighteousness that God's wrath is being revealed against and that we deserve apart from Christ? We stand again and again and again and we sing and we worship and I can't think, I don't want to mess you up here, but you're going to roll with me for a little bit. I just can't think of a better song, or just the, maybe the chorus, than the one that we ended with right before the, uh, before the sermon. Do you remember that little bridge? In light of all that we talked about today, about walking by faith. We trust you in all things we trust you. Your ways Higher than our own. You remember? Um, can we do that one? Yeah. Can you do that chorus like right now? Yeah. <laughs> you guys stand with me? Just do that chorus, then I'll let you go on with that. <laughs> 